Today's episode is a recording of Brian Becker's speech during the launch of the International People's Tribunal on U.S. imperialism, sanctions, blockades, and economic coercive measures. This event was held at the People's Forum in New York City on January 28th and featured a wide range of anti-war leaders and experts on international law. Brian discusses the urgent need to build the anti-war movement and the importance of rejecting the demonization of targeted countries and putting the fight against sanctions at the forefront. Brian makes the case that U.S. empire is rooted in the insatiable search of capitalists for profits. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to The Socialist Program. I'm Nicole Roussel, producer of the show. Brian is traveling. If you enjoy or rely on the show or both, please show your support by subscribing to our show on patreon.com slash The Socialist Program. I'm honored to introduce someone who needs no introduction, the national coordinator of the Answer Coalition and a founder of the Party of Socialism and Liberation, sharing with us his wealth of experience in the anti-war movement in the US. Everyone, please welcome Brian Becker. Thank you very much. And congratulations to the organizers of this tribunal. And as Nina said in her opening comments and have been reiterated, the goal here is not only to reaffirm international law, which is routinely violated by the forces of imperialism under many pretexts, but also to reaffirm a political orientation or an education orientation so that we accurately understand where we are in global politics, what era we're in, and also to recognize that the sanctions, the economic sanctions that, as other speakers have mentioned, were routinely employed against those who defied imperialism, again, regardless of political ideology or social system. But we know for certain that, as our last speaker mentioned, when the socialist camp came into existence after 1945, when the Soviet Union was not only or not the only socialist country, when we had also the People's Republic of China and North Korea and North Vietnam and the countries of Eastern and Central Europe who had been liberated from the scourge of fascism by the Red Army, who also went through a socialist transformation that perhaps two-fifths of the people of the world lived under governments that were under the leadership of the communist parties of those countries, and they constituted the socialist camp. And so when Cuba had its revolution, dared to defy the empire in 1959, and resisted and defeated U.S. imperialism and the CIA's invasion of Cuba with the Bay of Pigs in 1961, and it was at that time that U.S. imperialism imposed draconian economic sanctions on an island country 90 miles from Florida. The Cuban government and the Cuban revolution could turn towards the socialist camp. 
And yes, the blockade was severe, but the existence of the socialist camp mitigated the impact of the blockade such that by all standards, all metrics in the Caribbean, certainly, the Cuban revolution was a country of great affluence with great social rights, free education, free health care, etc. Likewise, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea until the late 1960s was far ahead of South Korea economically in spite of the sanctions and in spite of the imposition of draconian economic unilateral and multilateral economic measures designed to suffocate North Korea, it could not be suffocated. And it is precisely the absence of the socialist camp overthrown by anti-communist counter-revolutions in the late 1980s and culminating in the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991 that opened the door such that U.S. imperialism and its imperial allies could use sanctions as a weapon of choice against those who defied the empire. And I want to talk a little bit about why, why sanctions are a weapon of choice. And I think it's really, really important for us to understand that the, the sanctions are both a silent killer, a quiet form of slow motion genocide as defined by the United Nations, which defines genocide and was defined by the UN in the Convention to Prevent and Punish Genocide after World War II as the destruction of a people in whole or in part and to make the conditions of life deliberately, calculatingly such that people and civilians in particular, civilian life could not be sustained. So sanctions are a genocide, but a quiet genocide, a genocide that doesn't arouse huge public opposition within the domestic body politic of the countries that are imposing these genocidal measures. And we can see the insidious and devious character of this particular tactic, where if you so demonize the target, create so much fear and hatred and loathing among the domestic population against the target, and at the same time keep the domestic public basically uninformed about the nature of the genocide, you can commit genocide, you can use these tactics of mass destruction to strangle, intimidate, and ultimately destroy the target, without eliciting great domestic popular opposition. That's why this tribunal is so important. What happened when the U.S. had to go to war against Vietnam using American troops? They're developed in the United States by 1966 and 67, a mass movement against the war, which gave rise to a resurgent anti-imperialist movement. And the movement against the war became so profound, so comprehensive, that it infected the imperialist army and its own rank and file soldiers and Marines and sailors went into rebellion. And in many instances decided to kill their officers rather than fight the next battle against the Vietnamese. 
And ultimately, this opposition, this anti-imperialist opposition that began slowly and then developed and then became more radical and more anti-imperialist and then came into the U.S. military rank and file, the workers of the war, the rank and file soldiers, it became such a powerful factor that the U.S. imperialist government even created a new designation. They called it a new disease. They called it the Vietnam syndrome, this strange disease whereby the American people refused to allow their government to send the next generation into battle somewhere else, thousands of miles away in a country they didn't know about, didn't understand, didn't speak the language, had a culture that was unrecognizable. The American people by 1973 were saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Sanctions are insidious, but they're also, in a way, an indication of a certain weakness of the imperialist establishment that it can't conduct its foreign policy out in the open, in the light of day, and certainly can't use tactics that allow for the suffering of war, the suffering of the war and imperialist intervention to also affect impact the political consciousness because it impacts the lives of people here in the United States. That's why the tribunal's work is so important, because we have to fight against the problem that this is a quiet genocide rather than a dramatic genocide. It's not like bombs bursting in air and the gruesome pictures, but it is genocide. You might remember, or if you're young enough not to remember, but aware enough to be aware, Leslie Stahl on CBS 60 Minutes interviewing Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, not a Republican, not an arch conservative, a Democrat in the Clinton administration. Leslie Stahl says to Madeleine Albright, Madam Secretary, 500,000 children in Iraq have died. That's more than died in Hiroshima. Is the price worth it? And Madeleine Albright says to her, looking straight at her, well, that's a very hard question. But yes, we think the price is worth it. Yes? She's asked, killing 500,000 babies, is it worth it? And she says, tough question. But yeah, it's worth it. See, that's an acknowledgement by the Secretary of State that they know it's genocide, but the price is worth it. Well, what, what made it worth it? What made it worth it? I mean, Iraq threatened no one. Iraq was already defeated. The U.S. said it was outraged because Iraq had invaded Kuwait, which happened in August 1990. But seven months before that, the U.S. invaded Panama. Remember, in December 1989, the U.S. invaded Panama, destroyed the government, killed thousands of civilians, thousands who died. And the U.S. reconfigured a new regime in Panama, conducive to U.S. imperial interests. So is it really possible that the U.S. was so outraged because one country invaded another country, because Iraq invaded Kuwait? Obviously, Iraq 
could have had a negotiated end to that, but the U.S. didn't want that. And why? Because after the Soviet Union collapsed, after the dissolution of the socialist camp, that constituted an obstacle or a break, an inhibition on the exercise of unipolar imperialist power by the United States, the U.S. decided they were going to take out, destroy every regime, government, movement that came into existence as part of the anti-colonial project following World War II, the same project that coincided with the formation of the socialist camp. And the national liberation movements in Africa and Middle East and Asia could seek aid and comfort and support from the socialist camp. So then you saw the U.S. was going to go to war against Iraq. It was going to go to war against Libya, and it did. It was going to go to war against Syria. It went to war against Afghanistan in 2001. And of course, it was preparing to destroy the government in Iran as well. That was going to be the big prize. Now, our last speaker said very correctly that the problem was that the anti-imperialist movement in the United States and in Europe failed to educate the people in this country about what imperialism was going to do. In some ways, that is correct. I agree with that in some measure. But there's another element, which is there's a general opposition to war and there's a general, of course, embrace of peace. But there are different wings of the anti-war movement. Some are anti-imperialist, like this tribunal, and some are opposed to war because war is the absence of peace, where the anti-imperialist movement says war and the terrible character of war not only signifies the absence of peace, but the absence of justice. It is the injustice of imperialism that uses war and other means to enforce an unjust system, a global system, the global system of capitalism or monopoly capitalism or imperialism. And frankly, those of us in the anti-imperialist anti-war movement have been telling the truth and have been organizing on this basis for a long time. It's not 100% accurate to say that we completely closed our eyes to this reality. I want to give you a specific example of how the two wings of the anti-war or peace movement not only exist but compete with each other and that this competition isn't simply left-wing sectarian bickering but rather goes to the heart of what kind of movement we want and what kind of movement we need and what kind of movement the people in the global south who are the primary targets of sanctions desperately need. When Iraq invaded Kuwait, a big anti-war movement began, and it split into two wings. Right before the war started, it split into two parts. And it had actually two mass demonstrations in Washington, D.C., one on January 19th, 1991, and one, one week later, on January 26, 1991, the two wings of the anti-war movement were so divided that they had to have two demos on two different weekends. And some people would say, well, why didn't you just unite? I mean, doesn't it weaken your 
position to have two demonstrations two weekends apart? Doesn't that show sort of sectarian squabbling? The reason that the split happened is that the other wing of the anti-war movement insisted that our slogan, this included a coalition that had social democrats, liberals, and people who called themselves communists. The slogan was, sanctions, not war. And so they marched on January 26 under the banner, sanctions, not war. They had about 150,000 people marching. And our wing of the anti-war movement, which marched the week before, had a clear message that said, no war against the people of Iraq. We weren't saying yes to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. We weren't saying yes to the Saddam Hussein's policies. But we were saying clearly that the only issue for us was opposition to imperialist intervention and that sanctions were a form of war. That they're not something different. And who are the imperialists to punish Iraq when the imperialists themselves are the greatest purveyors of all kinds of violence, as Martin Luther King Jr. said? The greatest purveyors of violence. Who are we in the United States to say, well, we have to punish Iraq somehow. War isn't the right tactic. Maybe sanctions. Now, later, by the end of the 1990s, all of the different sectors of the left were aware enough to be against sanctions. So that was good. Took 10 years, but that was good. But why did some part of the anti-war movement, including, again, people who call themselves Marxists, social democrats, or communists, go along with the sanctions, not war? Didn't they know that sanctions would kill? And the answer is yes. They did know. The reason is because whenever the U.S. goes to war, either using sanctions or direct military intervention, it prepares public opinion by thoroughly demonizing the target, so much so that the entire public opinion is molded so that we know exactly who to hate and fear. And if you say that the target should not be punished at all, doesn't that mean you're, in a way, a friend of the target? So if you reject, for instance, in our contemporary time, the thorough demonization of Russia and try to give a historical explanation of how imperialism and NATO created the war in Ukraine, desired the war, are happy about the war, and want to continue the war, and in fact are escalating the war. If you say, look, it's not so simple to just say Putin is an aggressor. Let's look at 2014 in the coup d'etat. Let's look at the expansion of NATO relentlessly, unnecessarily, provocatively. Let's look at those things then the media will say, oh, you're a friend of Putin. You're an apologist for the Kremlin. And a big part of public opinion in the United States basically doesn't want to stand up and tell the truth because they too will be smeared. If you're in a period of demonization, a period of witch hunt, if you don't denounce the demon, if you don't become a denouncer of the witch, maybe you're a witch. Maybe you're a demon. So the left, or parts of the left, take safe cover by thinking that there is some reason to go along with the demonization campaign rather than to recognize whether you like Russia's position, dislike Russia's position, disapprove of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You can do all of that 
and at the same time recognize that the crisis in Ukraine, including war, escalating war, and sanctions against Russia and China are the consequence of a deliberate, calculated imperialist policy that's not designed to promote human rights, save lives in Ukraine or anywhere else. It's really for unipolar world hegemony, and that's what the real program is. That's why this tribunal is important, because it clarifies what this is. These violations of international law, including the Convention on Genocide, are designed for a purpose, and the purpose is political and social, and it has a class character. If we don't look at the political and class character of sanctions, we miss the boat. Finally, I'll say this. When Haiti had its revolution in 1804, the first time an enslaved population rose up and ended slavery and ended French colonialism, the French bourgeoisie, including the returned Bourbon monarchy, 25 years later brought all the warships around Haiti and said to Haiti, we can either have another war or you can be integrated into the world economy and trade once again. But to do so, you have to pay us back. You have to give us reparations for your own freedom. And Haiti said yes, because they had no choice. They said, yes, we will pay for our own freedom. So the ancestors of informally enslaved people were paying the ancestors of those who enslaved them in France for the next hundred years, in 1911, in 1911, 87% of the profits made from coffee produced in Haiti were still being used to pay French, the French ancestors of those who had enslaved the Haitian people. And then four years later, the United States invaded Haiti. The U.S. supplanted France as the dominant power. Woodrow Wilson ordered the Marines to march into Port-au-Prince. They took all of the money out of the Bank of Haiti and brought it to New York right here, brought it and it put it in Citibank's coffers. And then the profit proceeds from coffee in Haiti were no longer used to pay the French former enslavers. They were used to pay the officials from the United States who were the new operating governing staff over the Haitian people. And that lasted another 20 years. When we look at this record, we realize military intervention, sanctions, now drone warfare are part of a comprehensive global system of imperialism and capitalism. The way we need to get rid of the sanctions, one, we have to educate people, which is the purpose of the tribunal, to reaffirm international law, which the tribunal is also doing, but to also recognize we need a radical transformation in society, which will come about by people being in the streets, organizing together, building together, building movements and organizations and political parties together, that we can't really end the scourge of sanctions or war without ending the scourge of capitalism and imperialism. And ultimately, the greatest contribution this tribunal will make is to build a movement that can do just that. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. 
If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.